to another episode of Moped Outlaws. If you love or despise what you hear today, please click the subscribe button and follow <laughs> us. We would love to have conversations with you wherever you're coming from. Today, our guest is Nicholas Natali. We are so excited to have him. We hear amazing things about him. He's a published podcaster he's funny and he knows how to handle money when the shit it's the fan <laughs> it's great to have you here nick it's great to be here man now i have to be so funny that people despise your podcast so they have to subscribe exactly. that's the whole point from here on out that's the only reason we invited you on is we heard you had that talent i'm very polarizing can't wait to polarize your audience it's gonna Perfect. be great Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and I got only... a question. Go right ahead, Greg. What was it like living in a van down by the river? Oh man, oh, it was fantastic. It was it was amazing and terrible all, all at once. And I think it was because of the circumstances it was around. I moved into a 1986 Chevy Suburban after college because I found out that I was going to be in a bunch of student loan debt came out with like 60k and i was like i gotta get rid of this so it wasn't like what you see on instagram where people are posting how nice it is and they get to go wherever they want i was like working a nine to five government job working 60 80 hours starving myself to pay off these loans but at the same time i'm an extremist my personality is like i love the challenge of things so I enjoyed it, but I also would not recommend it <laughs> if you did it the way I did. <laughs> and you had a roommate in the experience? I did. So my best friend, he was waiting employed for the Air Force, and he had about a year. And I was like, hey, I'm pretty sure I could get you a job uh, where I work. Because for whatever reason, I was doing the hiring. And we just did like this makeshift interview. I remember it, too. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to call you and just like pretend we don't know each other. <laughs> so I'm like, well, why do you think you should work here? And we're like trying not to giggle through this thing. And I'm like, yeah, sounds great. Let me push this paperwork through. Next thing I know, he was hired. And uh, yeah, he moved into the Suburban with me. There was two beds that we, we went head to toe on and it was tight but it was fun we made it work that is crazy what was his incentive for moving into a suburban you know he had about 20k of student loans but really the first night that he stayed in the suburban he told me he was like dude there's no way i'm doing this with you like this kind of sucks like realistically because we had to like try to find parking and the area was kind of sketchy he's like i'm just gonna get an apartment you can park the suburban in front of it and i was like dude just give it a little bit you're gonna like it <laughs> and so he ends up doing like two or three weeks and i think he just got used to it he was like it sucks but like we're having fun together and we get to like our schedule is almost exactly the same which i know would drive some people crazy but we just goofed around so much that like we made the most of it so i think his incentive at some point was like it was a novel experience and we both kind of had this awareness that 
it was going to go away at some point. So we kind of cherished it. That's awesome. All right. Wow. So what I've read indicates that you moved into a home with some roommates. And I'm just wondering, are you still like in that kind of situation? Are you living with roommates still? No. So as soon as I, as soon as the burb life experience was kind of done, uh, I went solo. Been living solo since, and I don't know why that is. I don't know. I just think I, I, I'm, I'm sure it's somewhat logistical of like wanting to record podcasts and not having to like, you know, coordinate those things. But at the same time, I lived alone in a suburban for 18 months. You know, after my friend left, I continued for another like year and a half just living in the suburban. So I think part of me might just be used to the privacy, which. I like. What about you guys? What's your, what are your guys' living situations looking wait, like? Wait, wait, wait. Before we dive into us, <laughs> are your parents alive? Mm-hmm. What They're was their alive. thoughts of their son living in a suburban? Well, it's funny. My whole family, when, um, when I mentioned that this was going to happen... Uh, at first they're like, don't do it. You know, it's a bad idea. Like that's, this is terrible. I got a lot of don't do it. I can't really think of anybody that told me to do it, you know, but I was like, so committed to this idea that they started taking bets on how long they thought I would last because like they knew it would suck. And we took the air conditioner out of the suburban just so we could fit like the bed in. So it was like nights where it was over a hundred degrees. There were nights where I would lay in bed and be like, I might die in this thing. Like it is so hot in here. Um, but my my I think the highest bid for my siblings was like two months. They thought I'd last two months. And my mom says now uh, she was like, I would just didn't want you to do it because I knew that you would stay too long and you would make it happen. And I'm like, I appreciate that perspective, mom. <laughs> you know, thanks for believing in this crazy idea. Right. She actually believed in your craziness. I know you're crazy enough to just take this as far as it can go. Yeah, I have a track record of doing that. And it was so my my at least coming out of college, I'll give some like why I think she might may have had that belief. I joined a software engineering program and it was the first time at the school anybody was trying to graduate early and I was pretty dead set on doing that and I got countless no's for that too. And finally one professor gave me enough time of day to readjust the schedule for me to take like 18 units every semester for three years straight no breaks but i think my mom just saw of like man as soon as you just switch the gear in your head that you're gonna do it i know you're gonna go too far yeah this is an interesting principle because many you know financial gurus and teachers all the way back to think and grow rich talk about the shifting of the mindset as the most pivotal and cornerstone foundational aspect of what it takes to generate wealth and to, to generate, you know, experiential wisdom in the world. And I'm wondering, how did you learn to do that? Mm. Or is it just something you've always done? I think I've had a lot of good influences in my life. I read I mean, I I read those books pretty early on in life, too, like The Think and Grow Rich, How to Win Friends and Influence People, even The 4-Hour Work Week, I think I read when I was like 16 or 15. And one of the principles that I took away from at least that book that may have inspired some of this is don't... He has a quote that I'm absolutely going to botch. It's like, why would you aim to hit singles when you could hit home runs? 
And I think a lot of that has gone into my mentality with these sort of things. And I've been stewing on this concept recently, too, and I'll, I'll share some of those thoughts. Like the word decide, I have been looking into, and it's like the Latin root means to cut off. So when you make decisions you are essentially saying yes to something and cutting off all of those other things that would impede you from succeeding at something. So at least in regard to these financial decisions, when you make a decision to get out of debt, you're saying, yes, I'm going to commit to putting money into my loans or whatever credit card debt or whatever that may be. And then I'm going to cut out all of these habits or maybe even expenses that I really don't need. So I think that word decision has been impactful or at least i've been ruminating on it as well so that's a that's a really insightful it's question. very close to incision Ooh. <laughs> that's true <laughs> gotta be careful yeah well it's pretty admirable from the external but there's also a lot of consequences that go with it um, i noticed the fish stick counter has not gone up <laughs> yeah i haven't had a fish stick since I don't know why that happened either. Actually, I do know why. Uh, the last month of like paying off my student loans, I've knocked it out in 11 months, but it wasn't without, like you said, its consequences. I became malnourished. I was way overworked. I was working a, a crazy amount. And then the last month, me and my best friend, we would play these games of who could spend the least, you know, so we could put more toward our loans. And part of the sacrifice was food. And in the last month, I knew I was like, if I if I work this much, like this could be my last month of doing it. So I just bought a bag of a hundred fish sticks, microwavable fish sticks, and I ate like three a day for the whole month, and it was horrible. It was terrible. But uh, yeah, I had a lot of fish sticks. I don't know why I have not had fish sticks since. (laughs) For that and chicken patties. Chicken patties. What about your? staying clean like what do you do for showers yeah so we worked on uh, a military base camp pendleton out in san diego and they had they had a gym that we would go to to uh to shower up in and i wish i would have got it on lockdown like the whole process of not lockdown like the the time frame but like i wish i had it on lock this habit i would always forget my clothes to change into so i would go work out and i'd be all sweaty and then i'd shower and i wouldn't have any clothes to change into so then i'd have to wear sweaty clothes right back out to my car which was terrible or the other time where i showered and i forgot my uh shower shoes since it's like a publicly shared gym me and my friend we both forgot our shower shoes, or at least one of us did. So we're like, we'll just wear one flip-flop each. I think one of us brought brought a pair of... So we stood on one foot in these like communal showers, but ultimately it, it was apparent that both of our feet ended up touching the floor. And we got athlete's foot from the one time that we didn't wear these shoes on our one foot that was... And I was like, this is so stupid. So, yeah, that's how we stayed clean, but... Once again, not without its consequences. Hot dog. I'm just picturing like the holidays and your family just hoping you don't show up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This guy's smelly. This guy stinks. Yeah. Yeah. He's got no money for gifts. What is he bringing to the table? Yes. Jeez. Yeah. I remember driving up during the holidays and just having the Suburban and people being like, you're still in it, huh? (laughs) I'm like, yes. We're we're close, guys. We're close. (laughs) 
It's a great thing, though, because there's so much pressure goes on young people at this point because the way that the um, educational institutions are funded has turned into a for-profit enterprise. Let's just be honest. And the idea that debt is like the first lesson that we're teaching young people, it's like, here's the gateway to success is that you have to encumber yourself for years. Mm -hmm. It's such a horrific horrific reality that that we have and for you to push through the limitations of that really takes away all the victim excuses of everybody else i agree and i think you know every time the election comes around and they're like we're gonna forgive everybody's debt the first thing that comes to my mind is like can i get reimbursed for mine then because i i was i was hungry during that time um but i agree with your sentiment that these are becoming for-profit entities and i think the shame is really a lot of young people choosing majors that will have no shot of repaying you know if they go into a traditional like if you get a you know i'm not going to knock any majors here but if you get a history degree and you become you know a, a history teacher that doesn't in a in a city that makes not enough to repay your debt over the course of 20 years i don't think we should be having to pay back at something for 20 years that's that's absurd and all my i should say a lot of my family members i think the reason i was also motivated is because um my oldest sister she got her master's degree her bachelor's and master's degree and she didn't she paid it off but it it was like 23 years later and i was like oh my gosh that that sounds like so much (laughs) so does this experience inform your opinion of the you know uh Affirmative action enrollment policies that were just recently sort of pushed back by the the Supreme's court. Like, what do I think about it? Mm, I can't say I'm insanely informed on it. Other than I feel like it's moving toward toward a more meritocracy based uh, acceptance. Am I right about that, Mark? You might have to give me more context around what they're. Well, in- the idea is that it's supposed to be an equity redistribution it, it provides marginalized cultures with more access because we actually track what it is that or the types of people i.e their races and genders that are given an opportunity to be in these university institutions and the supreme court has just recently ruled that that's no longer legal and that uh, these affirmative action programs that have helped you know to a marginal degree i think actually help people gain access to these institutions now saying that no it's it's not okay to do that and so all of these institutions are recalibrating how they do admissions and in my sense of it is they're going to have more financial incentive to let more rich white people in. And I'm not sure that's a country that I want to live in very much. And I just thought I'd get, you know, your perspective is pretty unique, Nick. You, you know, you've done something that most people aspire to in terms of their willpower and their capacity as a, a force of nature. And, um, a lot of times when we hear entrepreneurial visions like that or stories like that, they come with kind of hardcore views about, you know, a bootstrapping and, you know, things like that. And I'm just trying to get a context for, for your sort of view on things and um, not to pigeonhole you, but just to open up the conversation because Greg and I like to use this podcast to talk about equity, uh, issues of equity and diversity and, you know, ableism and things like that in a way that's fun and enlightening. Mm-hmm. Nah, well, <laughs> hot dog. Let's get fun and enlightened here. Uh, 
what I've seen what I've seen on the affirmative action side is and I'm probably not the the forefront leader on this but I've seen that they say that the group that's going to be affected the most is typically Asian students because they outperform their peers exponentially like they're usually at the top of the ranking so when more resources get put toward any other students toward the bottom that may not have had gone through the same requirements in terms of like GPA or extracurricular activities, it takes away from students at the top who did go through that and earn it. Um, and I think the things that I think about are I don't ever want colleges to lower the bar or the standard, but I also don't think that there should ever be a place where people aren't having same opportunities to um excel or succeed so um i do kind of take on the meritocracy mindset of like if you are working hard you're getting the gpa you need and you're doing all the extracurriculars to make you be a standout applicant of course you deserve a shot um and i don't want anything else to impede or influence those decisions other than what your track record says Right, because ultimately then we just water down the, the level of capacity of these institutions and the challenges. Lowering challenges does not make better humans necessarily. Yeah. Well, let me ask this. Do you think that there was an ease in your ability to live out of a suburban because you were a young white male? <laughs> no, I, I do not. And I also think it's tough because, you know, my family, you know, wasn't wasn't the most affluent too so it's like i mean and i also will own the decision that i made i went to a private university so like that is a decision that i was probably too young to really know the consequences of but at the same time yeah starving myself working 80 hours a week and you know taking on everything that i can for you know an extended period of time that is just hustle uh, hustle is not the right word that is no that's hustle i think that's the right word Okay. In, All right. In our go with that. common language, that's hustle. That's what it is. Yeah, and I I, tr I also try to use the word grit too because I think grit right. can also be missing from in a missing equation from a lot of our conversations. Of if you do want something, I don't think it's going to be easy. And I think that's with most things that people want to be successful at. It's not going to be easy. So you want to be a actor, I believe, right? Because you're in the groundlings. I do. Yes. I just got, I actually just signed with an agent this week, which I congratulations. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm excited and, and nervous at the same time. Cause this is part of the industry that I am just still learning the ropes on. So you're not sag right now. I'm not sag. And I hear that's to our advantage because right now it is. Going on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I got to say non-union as long as I can. Yeah. Well, all the best with that endeavor. That's so you still have contracts that you're going to sign, though, right? Which ones? Which the, ones if you are offered employment for a film, you'll be oh. signing an agreement, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I would sign, I'd put my name on the dotted line wherever they need it. Sell my soul right now. Just kidding. Take that, <laughs> take that out. Take that out. So let me ask you a question. If you were about to do a performance mm -hmm. and the nature of the performance was that they were going to capture your avatar... Oh, baby. The, here we <laughs> go, right? And you you wanted to actually sign, right? Mm -hmm. Like, okay, I'm cool with this. You're going to capture me and then use me multiple times. Yeah. 
Do you think as a software engineer, do you think a viable method for doing that would be to use blockchain technology and NFT technology as a means to track those uses in the future? And would you want to be paid for them? I love this question, Mark. That is that is a, a big, hot question. <laughs> I think, of course, if I sign my name on the dotted line, of course I want to be paid for it. I think residuals, if you're using my image and likeness, we just saw it with the NCAA. Of course, if it's my noggin out there, I should be getting paid. That being said, would I want that? That sounds that sounds scary. You know, you're, you're giving away my own personal image without any... <clears throat> You know, what if I end up being the face of like the uh, like a herpes cream or something like that? Then I'd really be in for some trouble, you know? Well, so be more generic about it. Like we're looking for solutions that bring technology and traditional acting performances together. And we we must find a way to manage the impact of that, both because the studios are hurting. They're not making a lot of money in the theaters now. So the whole cost mm -hmm. profile for them, I understand that point of view. But then as an actor, I also understand this idea of, you know, if you can digitally capture me and then just use me, however you want, then there needs to be some kind of method for managing that agreement. And here we are also at the, you know, glorious beginnings of blockchain technology use. I think it's a real synergy and you do software engineering, right? You're still involved with that. It's been a while since I've done, if I touched any coding, I'm more of more on the management side these days. Got it. But do you see the nexus of the solution and that entrepreneurial opportunity of being someone who creates that kind of solution? The idea that comes to my mind is almost viewing it as uh, an asset, like you mentioned, like an NFT, but perhaps in terms of there's probably going to be an equation where if you're using my image and I, it's just simply created, we could do an equation where it would... If you had filmed this, maybe there's an X amount of day rate you would have been paid. So you're, you're paid for your day rate that would have happened. And then you're also paid for the residuals to then on. So almost like passive income. So essentially you could almost wonder if you had a set of yourself. Like let's say Mark Wahlberg has 10 avatars that he's willing to, to let different studios use. These different like real estate properties. And each one of them can cash flow a certain amount. And he keeps it only to 10 so that the demand is still higher. I could see something like that happening, but like I said, I think, I think it's a scary, it's still a scary thought because sooner or later that the, the actor or even like maybe actors just starting out like me aren't going to have the same level of leverage. Like who's going to want my face versus Mark Wahlberg's or another entity like that. That, am I are we tracking here? Am I making any? Yeah, I'm tracking you. <laughs> I, I I love the conversation. Um, I, I what I wonder. I heard um, an interview. Gosh darn it, I can't remember. Oh, you know it was Steven Soderberg, and he was saying with AI that ultimately the creative process is sitting at a table eye to eye and sparking off each other, having an idea, having a reaction. And AI is never going to have that feeling. That inner. So, like the thing with Mark Wahlberg is, like you said earlier, he had an impossible dream. He went hard for it, and he had the grit to do it, and he was one of the successful ones. And I think in a way that, anyone at the bottom of the mountain 
that's the ultimate challenge is for you to work your brand so that Nicholas demands millions instead of pennies. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think the other half of it too, is there's so much data on Mark Wahlberg. So maybe you can find more spontaneity in your AI. You can train the AI to say like, act like Mark Wahlberg or be spontaneous like Mark Wahlberg would be. But in a lot of ways, at least now, if they were trying to clone someone like me with no data and the AI was just like, yeah, make this guy cry or be sad. It's like, it might be like a botched form of that because there's no information on how that would be. Well, as a producer, I'd say, okay, I'll pay the Mark Wahlberg AI a million. You know, like Mark's going to get a million instead of the 15 I'd have to give him. And I'll have Nicholas at a day rate. I'm just going to put Mark Wahlberg on him. (laughs) Yeah, it's pretty cost efficient. Yeah. Uh, There is something to be said where you talk about the magic of of two actors or producers in a room that can actually feed off of each other that is not replicatable through AI. But that's just, I think that's always going to be at the crux of everything that we go toe to toe with AI versus human. We'll have the upper hand in terms of relationships, but outside of that, AI is probably coming for our throats in terms of training, uh, precision. You need an actor that's going to cry on cue. They're going to do it, but you need a human to cry on cue. They might need to like take a couple minutes, get in the zone, you know? So that that bears the question. What kind of roles do you want to have as an actor? Like you've, you've gotten an agent, you're funny. I know you write about being funny on your website so far. That seems to be the case. What is it that you're looking for? uh, And far of the kinds of roles that you want to play, like what, what would be like a thing that you jump at the chance to play? right now any comedic roles would be awesome uh i'd love to do i actually like drama and and things like that too i have a lot of training in in drama um but you know what i get casted as at least frequently this is how i know i need to change my headshots i get casted as like villains a lot and i don't know why like really dark dark characters and it blows my mind like the last one i did was like a demon possessed person. And I'm like, why is this coming my way? What, what about me is saying this is like in, in alignment. Uh, so you have resting it, evil face is what it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think I need to get my headshots updated and look for more comedic light roles. Like I remember filming some of that and just being like, this is, this is weighing on me. I want to do some fun stuff. Ah. You could go into mid journey and fix your current headshot. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. I don't even need to go get new ones. I'll just get a midget. Yeah. You know, um, I was thinking about um, Cape Fear recently, and um, gosh darn, I just forgot the main actor's name, the villain, De Niro. De Niro. Um, And I was wondering about playing that character, you know, because when you do a film, you're really immersed in that character for a long period of time. The toll, the character, the personal toll that that might take on one's psyche, and how does one keep one's psyche clean when you're playing these roles? So, for you, let's take what you just experienced. You were playing this demonically possessed, evil, dark character. What did you find you did for yourself to help keep balance to yourself? For that role, I was, man, I'm not going to lie, I was praying more. 
they like had they wanted me to wear like the um whatever like the satanic star is on my chest and i would wear it during the shoot and then i would not bring it inside my house like i like I, there was stuff where i was like i'm not messing with this um and that didn't yeah that was bad and i'll give it another example too i had another character more recently who uh he would have nightmares like that was part of his character like he just like struggled with nightmares because he was like torturing himself not physically but like in the sense of like emotional turmoil and he was a cook in a kitchen so he like has all of these things like dreams of his kitchen catching on fire and stuff like that and i had i ended up having nightmares because i'd be thinking about this guy's role so much in like his life and i had this weird nightmare that is surprising that i'm about to share this but it was like I was like a cook, like he was a cook, but the meat I was using wasn't like ground beef. It was like ground human. And I was like, oh my gosh, I like woke up in a, in a Fritz, you know? So I think like experiences like that make me realize, you know, I think it's good. I think that encourages me as an actor, but to your point, there is a line where I have to see if it's bleeding into my personal life or actually affecting relationships because that's when it gets dangerous. I'm okay with like picking up on their language and how they talk. Like that last character would always say, you know, so I was saying, you know, to people a lot, but that doesn't bother me. But stuff like where I'm getting nightmares, I'm like, okay, maybe I need to take a step back here. There's something yeah. about somatic cleansing or spiritual cleansing that comes to mind. Like every situation we move through, we need like a, ca- a you know, a spiritual shower if we're going to yeah. do stuff like that. Right. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> you know, there's, there's actually indigenous practices that a lot of hippie people are into now with this white sage stuff that are designed to do that. But we're not properly initiated as white people to actually engage with sage at a ceremonial level. It's just kind of like a thing that we ape or that we copy. What? What, Greg? Spit it out. I think that we can engage with sage. (laughs) Why why not? It's all the rage. (laughs) No, Um, no, but because I think Mark and I have had this debate before together with cultural appropriation, and I lean more of its knowledge and knowledge is there's a communion with knowledge. It's to be shared. And the fact that it may have been in one area of the planet with a people and lifestyle doesn't mean that's where it should stay. I think knowledge is like love. It's to be shared and to grow and to blossom. I do think also, go ahead. That's how you say. So, so here's the thing. What the knowledge is might not be the knowledge you think it is. And if you understood that calling in white sage spirits and the spirits of the ancestors that go with white sage might be the equivalent of having other entities inhabiting your subconscious besides the one you're talking, you want, particularly Nicholas talking about playing this demonic character and then praying a lot more in order to, and not having the sigil, the, the art, the artifact in his home, he was then doing the thing that his ancestral lineage taught him to do with the right medicine for his ancestral lineage. Right. But if you just use white sage and you don't understand what it's for, or you don't understand who you're calling in with it, you might end up with a whole different level of not possession, but 
a group of folks hanging out in your spiritual realm that you didn't actually realize. That aren't you, right. 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 Well, that's called education. You right. Well, that's, why I'm, that's why I'm bringing it up. But I, I think that it's, it's, you know, I personally am a reformed Christian in the sense that there's aspects of that, that I still hold very dear to my soul and spirit and heart, but there's other aspects of it that I find repugnant and I'm not at all interested in Satan and so I would quickly call for the help of the divine if I faced what I would call a demonic challenge like that, right? And it warms my heart to hear Nick talk about his own hygiene around this thing. And, you know, it's another indication of your character, Nick, of how important it is to keep your subconscious and your spiritual part, your inner world healthy, being in debt is a form of that, of, of polluting that, right? And then, and, and how you conduct yourself, it affects you, not just, you, you, you know, what you, who you interact with. And I don't know how, how I can turn this into a question other than to say, I'm really sorry. I ended up taking so much time talking myself. i really want to listen to you more, Nick. I love it. I'm here for it. I'm a big podcast fan. So to be able to experience it live is even better. Um, All right. Yeah, um, I do think that's important, though, to what you mentioned. What's important? The fact that there is, you mentioned like um, keeping, it's almost like a homeostasis of your internal being. I do think that's, I do think that's important. And I, I also think that pairs with one of my big goals. And I think this is one of my core uh, values is like doing things with integrity. And I think a conception that I have of Hollywood and conception that I have of like filming and that sort of industry. I'm, I, I feel a little hyper. Uh, I try to be extra careful around these things because as much as I want to provide value as an actor, I never want it to get into my life where I'm not providing or I'm not acting with integrity or, or going against the grain of things that I think are right. So I do think that is important. You know, <clears throat> there's so much going on right now, like with the passing of Sinead yesterday or the day before, whenever it was. And I'm a huge Prince fan. And she had a horrible experience with the man. And I was kind of contemplating that and thinking of other people I've heard talk about him, like Sheila E., who speaks well of him. And I guess part of what... I think with this integrity thing you bring up is part of the integrity is to stay close to your own personal experience. Because hearsay spreads like wildfire. That's very true. Yeah. Rumors can get started quick or even misconceptions of, of what was seen. And I almost feel like maybe that's drawn me to... I don't know. Let's see if I can come up with an example. I think like a, if a married man is conversing with a, a woman on set and they're alone, but it's nothing going on, but somebody sees it and they're like, well, this has got to be bad. Like things like that. I, I feel like I have more of awareness around just like general perception too of like, hey, be extra cautious because and I think that falls in line with my big thing, too, is I don't ever want to be someone who's 
I think every interaction is either positive or negative. I don't believe in neutral interactions. So I think in terms of influence, it's really important for me to feel like I am setting myself up to impact people positively, which might be too hyper-focused at, at times. But I do think at least the intention of doing that is there. And that goes for being on set and all those things, too. That brings up the question of... <laughs> aliens and why you might have been part of a government investigation (laughs) yeah i definitely was part of a government investigation this is true uh i don't have those secrets i don't know if (laughs) if those are true those are the secrets they wouldn't tell me uh i had a government investigation launched on me because i was living in a suburban as you know and i was working for the department of defense and someone caught wind of this i never brought that into work like i never told anybody at work uh my friend and i so we would not see each other during the work day like we would we work together but we'd be like like hello in the break room kind of stuff like we kept a real (laughs) real hush hush but somebody ended up finding out or at least making an assumption and i got called in one day to talk with my manager i believe it was like a manager and a higher up and they're like nick we uh, no, you're living in a, in a suburban, and we think that this is their quote. We think you're a bum stealing from the government. And I was like, <laughs> "What?" They're like, "Yeah, we think that you are working overtime and all this stuff, so you can go travel in your van and go wherever you want." And I was like, "Have you seen me travel in this van? I've been here every day. You know, like this is ludicrous." Uh, and so they ended up sitting me down. And this this happened like over the course of two-ish weeks, maybe more. They went through all of my like phone call records. They went through all my text records. They went through all of my emails. They went through all my text messages, all of my time cards. They checked all my work. They checked if I was at where I said I was on certain days. Just like everything. They were just like exhaustingly going through all of my stuff. And I'm like, I'm I'm doing the work, guys. Like, I don't know what you want me to say. And... I, ended, I got lucky on two accounts. One, my manager liked me. If I had a different manager, I think I really would have been screwed because he was like feeding me the answers in, in some way. He was like, he was like, I need you to give me a home address. You stay with your friends. Where does your friend? <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> Get wrote down an address of my friends. He's like, I need you to say that you sometimes like to sleep in your suburban so you can surf on the weekends. You like to do that, don't you? And I'm like, I do. And he's like, okay, it's because you like to surf. And I'm like, this is great. This is great. I keep, keep going. And I think he'd been through like two or three of these. So he had some experience around like what they wanted. And they didn't let it go until I started to like try to think of my a way out of this for real because they really it was like every day they were coming at me and i got a phone call from it was my ex-girlfriend's friend at the time and she was watching my ex-girlfriend's car and it was a toyota corolla and she goes she goes hey i'm gonna go study abroad i can't watch this car anymore i need you to watch it and i was like i don't know why you're calling me because one, I live in a car. I can't watch watch another car. And two, it's like, I'm not even with her. You know, like, what do I need this car for? And she's like, I don't know, but I'm going to bring it to wherever you're at. And I was like, oh my gosh. So she parks this car where I'm staying, like, <laughs> in my car. 
And I'm like, okay, new strategy here. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I like drive the Suburban to a Walmart, run eight miles back to this car, drive this this Corolla to the Walmart. I'm staying in it for like a week. And I'm like, I think I need to move into this Corolla, you know, get them off the scent here. And so I move into this Toyota Corolla for about like a month or so. And I remember like three days after I started driving this Toyota Corolla into work, uh, like one of my managers came out and was like, I don't know why they think you live in a car. You have two cars. How could you live in a car? And I was like, yep, got him. So true. And like two days later, they dropped it. And I was like, wow. oh my God, it's so ridiculous. This is so, so stupid. That is so funny. Holy Christ. That is brilliant. So without violating your oath to the government, Mm-hmm. I would love to hear your take on the recent testimony of the possibility that there are alien craft and alien bodies. I mean, that we've gotten to the level now where actual employees with access, people <laughs> of character, are now testifying to Congress. I'm just wondering what you think of all that. I've only seen the headlines. I haven't seen any information, so I can't say I'm super informed on this topic. I've but. only seen Mark on TikTok just with Jerry <laughs> in the headlines going, oh, my God, this is important. Who knows? So Who knows? this week on Wednesday, there was a congressional hearing that you can watch the whole two hours of. I would encourage you to watch it, Nick, because okay. it's the most credible testimony of from people of credible of a credible nature. Uh-huh. And it, I'm really skeptical. Like I've known about information like this for 30 years, and I've been like, yeah, whatever, maybe, maybe not. But this is the first time since that I've been like really ready to entertain the that there is the reality is that there are these craft that don't perform uh, to the kinds of physics that we talk about, et cetera, et cetera. And I'd urge you and your friends to have more podcasts about it and to look at the information and decide for yourself because it's mind blowing what's happening. I I encourage you to put this in the same file that you've put watching TV alone in. (laughs) What did they find? What they found? Exactly. And who cares? (laughs) It's interesting that Greg is so anti this conversation, but I'm going to forge ahead. Are you working with them, Greg? Are you with the aliens? What are they telling you? (laughs) Look, don't ask questions, Nicholas. Didn't you learn anything in your attendance? (laughs) (laughs) Holy Christ. So a a very reputable fellow who is under whistleblower status, meaning he's being protected. Stephen. Stephen DeMarcus. Said that he had direct knowledge of craft and of biologics, i.e., non-human entities that could pilot the craft, and that they that he knew of multiple locations in the globe where they are interacting with these beings, and that the technology has been captured. And, and how does this change your life? That's not the question, Greg. <laughs> yeah, it is. Because this is just no, another the question Kardashian. Is how will it change our lives? It's just another Kardashian. This is another thing to get involved with that has no meaning at all. But other people will benefit from your attention. I, I hear your cognitive dissonance and that it's hard for you to, to actually fathom what this might mean. You, you actually no, would much easy. rather you'd it's much easy. rather persecute me and purloin the idea than entertain it because it's too difficult no, for you to face no, out what it might mean. That's not it at all. I, uh, two years ago when um, I came name? here for an argument. 
No, you didn't. <laughs> Dorkopotamus. I mean, Mark. <laughs> um, when that footage was on the Joe Rogan podcast with that um, Navy pilot, that to me was like, oh, that seems this guy's legit. Seems to me like we have UFOs. Okay, great. Moving on. My life, my there's other priorities in my life than alien beings. Wow. Like if one, if I come across one, I hope, like Nicholas said, there's positive action and negative action. I hope I'm positive in my interaction with anyone, regardless of where they're from. Okay. Well, I'm going to go now since I feel so ridiculed. <laughs> no. Oh my god! Now you're I'm just to kidding. Say, Ouchie. <laughs> um, gotta be anyway, so I wanted to try to have a reasonable conversation about this, but um, I don't know if that's still possible. Nick, do you have an opinion, or are you like me? You kind of want to escape from this conversation now. <laughs> I think, hey, as long as they're not a threat and they're they're cool with us, let them in. Invite them over. Let's see what they know. If they figured out a way to. If there's really a, an, a water on the moon and that's where they're, they're living on the dark side of the moon, I want to know. It's a good we, album, by the way. It's a great album. We got it. <laughs> what do you think of Roger Waters redoing it? <laughs> haven't haven't tuned in. Have not. He's redoing. It. He's going to release it like mid August. He's done gone over every aspect and redid it himself. He already time. released money. Wow. I need to. I need to put this on my to-do list. I have three things on my to-do list every day. You know what? This could be filed right behind researching <laughs> UFOs. <laughs> I, I see both sides here. Greg, I see your side. I think, I think we're constantly in a state of being distracted by things, and that's just the, the nature of our, our being. And, Mark, I think it's a, it's a real concern. If they're really there and they're ready to mess some stuff up, I will be concerned. See, that's the thing. I don't think the threat level is the key thing to attach to. I think okay. that the, the technological advances that are mm. being held back by corporate entities that want to keep us in debt slavery mm. is the real story behind it. That's why I'm concerned, because I, one of the stories that goes along with this is that the advancement of technologies are the result of reverse engineering some of this tech and that we don't need to burn fossil fuels anymore and we don't need to pay for energy and that the economics of releasing the data will upset the sort of foundations of the way the economy is structured. And that's the real reason that it's being kept secret, not that they want to kill us all or they're going to take us over. Mm. That could be Sounds fair. like great 938 p.m. TV. <laughs> have you seen the conspiracies around the uh, cars that run on water and how yeah, there's yeah, I have. I feel like I feel like we're in the same vein here because I heard that they get shut down because of, you know, big oil. They don't want they don't want these oil companies to not be able to have their dinero. It's got to be. That's why they're. That's why they're exiting all of these water engineers. Well, I, you know, I've run up a lot of debt pouring water into the gas tanks of my cars over the years, and to me, it's a fallacy. Sugar next. <laughs> <laughs> Those poor guys that like created this amazing innovation, and then they're just exiting. Who knows? Who knows? No, I was thinking. You but. know, another gentleman that had your first name, Nicholas Tes Tesla. Oh, he yeah. had. I've heard that our whole electric grid would be completely green if Edison hadn't stabbed him. Involved. Buried uh, him. Corporate. It's right there. It's right there. 
It's all for the. Did you ever see the um, Terry Gillum movie Brazil? No, I haven't. Oh my god, it's a great movie. I'll That's add what. As well, I need to make a. This is. I'm getting a to do list from this podcast. I'm going to. Yeah, you can follow that right behind. So research UFOs. Yeah. Listen to the new version of Dark Side of the Moon. Check out the movie Brazil by Terry Gilliam. What was on your list before you met us, Nick? Well, that was it. I, I figured this would happen, so I just kind of left it, left my day open. I'd say, have you ever been to Nicaragua? Is that one of the six, sixteen countries you've visited? Ooh, I haven't. I've seen it on Survivor a lot, though. Um, yeah, that's funny you mentioned the. the the countries because we talked about cultural appropriation i feel like travel has helped my my thoughts around around that is that you at the great wall of china on your website that is me at the great wall of china on my website i lost my pants there i'm not sure how that happened either i think i had my pair of pants in my backpack and i wasn't able to you wear were pants abducted by aliens and, and then left <laughs> behind and you don't remember. <laughs> They're on the dark side of the moon. Dark side of the moon. Where are my pants? Somebody help me. Who am I? Okay, well, what was one of the most sketchy experiences where you were in real danger in one of your country visits? Um I got a I got a couple. The one the first one that comes to mind and it was in Thailand. And I was with the same friend that lived in the suburban. So we paid off our debt and we're like, we want to go to Asia. I don't know why that was our, our, our big celebration, but that's where we wanted to go. We had a connection in China that wanted us to come speak about our experience living in a car. And for some reason, we're just like, let's pop in there and go straight to Thailand. Hence the uh, government investigation. I had a friend in China. <laughs> it's all kind of coming together, isn't it? <laughs> I know. When I left China, too, I was on the way out. We were going through their security, and they just dumped all of my stuff on the ground in the airport, the security, and just watched me pick it up. I was like, okay, great. This is awesome. You guys are really proving your point here. You know, you, you may, maybe you know I'm from the government. You just all right. my stuff out. I know we're kidding around, but what was the scary story you were about to tell us about going to Taiwan? Or- Thailand. 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 The scary story, I'll make it. Long story short, I really wanted a Thai massage because I'm in Thailand. That's like the that's like their thing. And there's all these Thai massage parlors, and these masseuses will stay outside, and they will be like, "Hey, come in. We want to massage you." And you're just like, "That's okay. No, thank you." And then some of them are very aggressive, and they're like, "We want to massage you." And like sometimes they would like grab your arm and like really grip on, like, "Come inside. We're gonna massage you." And those were the ones I was like. Fight. need your kidney yeah yeah i'm like this is this is not good and we eventually went with one that was probably the cheapest which is probably not our best bet but we went in there and um my friend went to the restroom he came out i went into the restroom and when i came out nobody was there and i was like oh oh this is it this is what they talk about this is the kidney stuff that you were just mentioning like my friend just got his kidney taken and there was a stairway uh that led up to who knows where because there was nobody else there and i was like i imagine they went up this way and so i went up and then the first floor there was like nothing it was like it was like empty and it was almost it almost felt like an abandoned hospital and i was like this is not looking good like the lights flickering in movies kind of stuff the light was like flickering and i was like 
<laughs> and I was like, if I didn't live with a, in a car with this guy, there's no way I'm going to keep going up, but I'm going up. And wow. I go up to another floor, same thing. It's like abandoned. And I don't hear anything. And so I'm really thinking, I'm like, they must have really taken this guy, like taking him away. This is bad. And then finally I get to the third floor and there's all these like hospital beds and they're like surrounded by uh, like those little curtains right. that happen in hospitals. And I'm thinking like, we just walked into something like really bad. Like this is not good. And uh, it's dark and there's like a doorway and I walk through this doorway and then I just hear my friend like, Hey, I'm in here. And he like pulls over <laughs> these blinds and he's like in his underwear. And I'm like, what have they done to you? And he's like, we're getting ready for the massage. And I'm like, this is terrible. What are we doing in here? And we ended up getting a massage in this really scary hospital. And that Just was relax. it. Relax. Just relax. This, Everything's fine. This lady like got on the bed and was like looking into my eyes, like massaging the back part of my arm like holding me down i was like this is where she's going for the juggler i was so tense i was so stressed out it that was that was a very scary moment for me i'm sure there's probably more but that's the first one that came to my mind so not the thai massage you'd been hearing about no the thai massage i was i thought i was gonna get murdered and we just heard the story as we walked in there of like somebody meeting up for a tinder date and they invited them back to their home and it was like three and this is what they're called in thailand they told us to call them that they call, call them lady boys that was the title yeah. they said they had three lady boys walk through the room and like beat this fool up and take take his money from a tinder date and i was like this is us we're, we're getting the same treatment right here yeah we made wow. it up though all right and the other one <laughs> the other one i think it was just uh i saw a robbery take place in the czech republic in like a super public area like in front of me there was somebody that like got shoved to the ground and there was a bunch of like you know fists flying that was and i had like just gotten my dod job so i was like and they talked to me about like don't engage in like foreign like issues like this so i was like i don't know what my move is i can't step in that felt pretty threatening but i wasn't the immediate focus so i made it right. up Wow. All right, so to cleanse the palate, (laughs) (laughs) cue up Dark Side of the Moon Money by Roger Waters. So what kind of roles would you like? Like, let's just put it out there. If somebody hears this that could offer you a film role, what would you really love to do? Give me a lead role. Give me somebody that has a a problem that I can play to. I like uh, people that have a big flaw that they're trying to overcome, whether it's like um, struggling with an addiction or, uh, you know, some sort of self-inflicting flaw um, or just something really funny that I can be a character in where I can just have at it, be loosey-goosey and make people laugh. Those are the two. So maybe Pet Detective 3? Yeah, that'd be perfect. That's exactly what I want. Pet Detective. (laughs) 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 Give Give me a voiceover, actually. That'd be fun, too. Just a cartoon. Are you guys? Do you guys make shorts? Are you guys in into writing scripts and things like that? Um, I've written a script uh, for a feature, but I haven't written anything short. <clears throat> You've written a feature? That's a big accomplishment. That's not easy. That's that's a big deal. Yeah, I have three that I want to make. Heck yeah! Are they on the docket? 
Well, I'm trying to get the first one made, and then I'm working on all of the background pre-production writing for the second one as a sort of a when I have time. But mostly I'm working on the lookbook and, you know, the various things that go into that. And then, of course, I talk to my friend Greg a lot because he's an actual film producer. <gasps> and he's he always destroys my dreams lovingly. <laughs> so then I get There's back. No to aliens in the script, Mark. We can't keep putting them in there. That's a great. <laughs> that's what that's what George Lucas said to me when I helped him with uh, Indiana Jones four. <laughs> <laughs> Enough of the aliens. You know what we need is a nuclear bomb and a refrigerator. That's what the story needs. That's it. That's it. Everybody loves being trapped. You know, it was really sad to hear that Indy 5 really underperformed. And, you know, I have to blame the fact that it's the only one that Steven Spielberg wasn't the director on. Like, that was the one difference. Mm. Steven, we miss him. Should have been there. Well, I'm curious about your work in the Groundlings. Like, I know there's an improv group up here, and they have sort of levels where you come in as a student and learn, and sort of the third or fourth level level is the actual public performers, the professionals, Mm -hmm. as it were. Does Groundlings have that hierarchy going on? They do. I'm only in the intermediate, and I'm pretty sure it goes. There's like pre-basic, basic, intermediate, advanced and then from what i hear you have one shot to audition for your whole life so they want you to like they probably want you to take advance a few times before you audition to be on their main stage and i think advanced classes get to perform on a student stage which is like a different theater and then once you audition for their main company you get to audition in the main theater which they're funny they're exceptionally good i go and watch their main shows probably like every other weekend just because they're so dang witty and good like they they really hone their skill is watkins i forget her first name is she still watkins um another to-do list (laughs) well let me ask you as an intermediate are you is it pretty much just a student experience or do you guys get performance public performance is part of the intermediate level it's just a student experience but ucb the like competing improv theater here uh they i know they do all of their classes get to do like a performance at the end where they get to perform everything they've learned which truth be told i'm happy that we did not have to perform from basic i don't think i don't think it would have been super enjoyable for (laughs) an audience to to watch us flounder up there uh just because it's i don't know comedy improv is super fun i think the skills are translatable but it definitely is a skill that needs to be honed you know even the funniest people i think you need to practice a lot and have a lot of you know sad moments that you can then turn into comedic moments yeah, you got to fail a couple times publicly, which I've which I've done, you know, like the lessons that hurt the most are usually the ones that make us the best. Right. Isn't that funny how that works in life? Jeez, I hope that's true because I'm suffering. Uh, <laughs> what about do you do stand up? I I haven't, but it is on my list to do an open mic within the next two weeks. 
So hopefully I'll be doing my first open mic because same thing. I think the skills are transferable. And even if it isn't like the life mission to make it all the way through all of the open mics in the world, I just think it's such a good skill to have to be able to get up there. And, and this is what inspired me to do it. And I think this might be a bad motivator, but we're being honest here. This is, Mm -hmm. this is a safe space. You know, this isn't public at all. I, uh, (laughs) I went to an open mic or like a comedy event and it was like four beginners and amateurs and so many people bombed and i was like i could get up there and bomb like i could for sure get up there and not make people laugh like that's that's easy and if all these people are getting up there and doing the same thing i'm you know why not take a crack at it too so that's what inspired me to do it have you guys done any uh open mics got any material you're brewing on i was doing it um gosh it's been about 10 years ago now <laughs> And I was pretty serious about it, and then divorce hit, and I wasn't feeling very funny. Darn it. Um, yeah. Darn that divorce Darn. thing. <laughs> I tried it a couple of times over the years. Yeah, I wrote a page and a half on what it was like to be really be William Shatner, and um, I loved it. But in retrospect, where everyone was bombing in the open mic that you were talking about, or the whatever situation it was, it seems like even great comics talk about bombing themselves. And it sounds like sometimes you're with an audience that's a bombing audience. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I do think that's true for sure. And from the comedians that I've talked to too, they, there's some funny people that I've, I've talked to and they're like, I've gone into a room, done the exact same performance I did the night before that got a standing ovation and got booed off. He's like, I've been, I've been booed off a stage for some of my best material. You know, it's like, it's, you know, you just don't know what room you're kind of walking into until you're in the room and they're giving you feedback in the moment of like, dude, not funny, not funny, man. You know, go, go somewhere else with those jokes. I think that's true for sure. The comics I really love are like Tig Notaro and Norm MacDonald and people Mm. who are willing to ride that razor's edge of kind of not giving a fuck if you're laughing or not, you know? Yeah. I think that's the confidence that I would aspire to have. Like those, those people that walk up there and are unfazed in a lot of ways, like they can take the fact that nobody's laughing, but not be affected like in a negative way, not have like a sense of panic come up of like, Oh, I I better get a laugh real soon. It's like someone who can control the room, control their performance, like almost, almost like hype, like analyze what's going on and being like, I'm still in control of this. I can, I can turn this around. I think that's the level of performance I would love to get to. Yeah. What's interesting because you talk, you are a wealth performance coach as well as a actor and a comedian and all of these things. And it, it, there seems like there's a mirror there, like true performance leadership in a business environment involves being able to hold a room just the way that you described when it's not going your way, when the quarterly results aren't great, or when you're trying to tell people there's going to be layoffs or whatever leadership, either in the comedic sense or in the uh, executive entrepreneurial space, it, it feels like it's the same quality. And it's the kind of quality that a man who resolved or decided, as you put in the beginning, to get rid of his debt. That's the kind of self-control we need more of, I think. I'm with you. I, I think... I think seeing as many screaming videos of people screaming at each other, I think some more <laughs> self-resolve and people holding their emotions together is 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 good. I I and I think 
I think maybe those people are outliers, but I do think a pendulum is probably going to swing back to where we've gone so far to like over express in a negative way at times to hopefully coming back to the middle and being like having some more civil dialogue, being able to control our cool heads. And, you know, this is this is getting a little philosophical, but once again, see each other as as people rather than just like problems to solve or obstacles to overcome. And when that's happening, we'll we'll probably have a resurgence of Chris Farley and Bob Goldthwaite types in the comedic market. I'd hope so. We need them. Chris Farley, the van, <laughs> the OG van. That's it. That's the reference on earlier. Yeah, where it all started. Yeah. Fun. You know, because, you- um, ah, oh, fuck, I forgot. The, I think it's, oh, anyway, that skit down in a van by the river was developed at the ground. What's the Chicago one? Is it UC? Second City. Second City, yeah. Second City, yeah. And Chris Farley was there, and he was partnered with Odenkirk. Is that the gentleman's name? Bob Odenkirk? Yeah. Was Call Saul? Yeah, exactly. And um, my name is Nobody. And anyway, so he was, I think it's him, was the writer, and he wrote that for Chris, and then they were both at Saturday Night Live together. And and the rest is history. Chris crushed it. Part of why that was interesting to me is it showed me how all this stuff that I love, there's usually a story of development behind Mm. it. It doesn't just like happen in a week and boom, that was awesome. There's. I wish it did. I wish it did, but I'm with you. Yeah, I wish it did too. I've never seen that be the case. I don't think it would be as potent if it did. Like, there's something Mm -hmm. about the tension that has to build up in the culture as well as in the performer for the joke to really go off like dynamite, right? There has to be a certain amount of, uh, you know, difficulty in the room, a difficulty in the air. And that's why, you know, we're having the debate about cancel culture in the arena of comedic behavior because it's where Mm -hmm. we get our picadillos purloined. Yeah. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Because, I I mean, I hear the takes that comedy should be outside of those realms that shouldn't be cancelable and they should always be pushing the lines and finding those things. Well, I heard, and gosh darn it, now I can't remember this person's name, but it was a comic. Oh, it was David Letterman in um, the Smartless podcast. And he was Mm. saying, I'm glad it's happening because I think for too long we were ignoring these things that are coming up and now they're in conversation. And, and I've heard other entertainers speak that part of the professionalism of an entertainer is you are grappling with these topics in an entertaining fashion. So even like I've seen a lot of comics coming out with some great bits about cancel culture or even, you know, starting their sets with something about if you run up here and you're going to hit me like, yeah, yeah. You know, so addressing these things that are powder kegs in our social, whatever it is growing that we're doing. So I like that. I like David Letterman's take that I'm glad it's happening. I may not agree with it and I'm glad it's happening. Yeah, I think I think comedians are almost there's a sense of responsibility for them to have to provide bits of truth 
and provide them in a pill that we're able to digest and uh, swallow because we want to be able to laugh about these things because they are outrageous, but we're all experiencing them at the same time. And maybe we don't really want to talk about these sensitive things, but you're saying it as a joke. So maybe I can kind of talk about it on the ride home, you know, because he made me laugh about it. I think that's almost the responsibility to poke fun and poke holes in some of those topics we hold so, so tight to our chests. It's the unspoken desire that most people who listen to comedy or see comedy actually crave. It's the nutrient that they're craving, but they, we don't know necessarily how to articulate it. Yeah, I want to go and have my point of view kind of challenged and made fun of and at the same time have it cause me to have a conversa- an intimate conversation on the way home that changes my views a little bit. I, I think it's the sweet spot, really. Yeah. Did either of you see that Joan Rivers documentary that was towards the end of her life? I don't think so. No, I don't like her. Oh man. I love her. So anyway, um, one of the things I think happens in the documentary that points out professionalism is she's doing a bit on a deaf person and a father stands up and he's irate and he's talking, you know, he's yelling at her. My son's deaf and this isn't funny and blah, blah, blah. And she went at him and the Joan Rivers manner, the crowd laughs and she goes on, he leaves, and the, she went on with her set. Backstage, you see her, and this is what was important to me. She's like, I almost lost them. I all, you know, I was right there on the edge, and luckily I got them back, talking about the audience. That was her job. Her job was to entertain the crowd and not let this one individual insert that. And that night she did it, and... I think anyone who's in the realm of entertainment, you have nights where you, you don't do it. You, you missed. And that's part of like an audition that you don't get or you bomb. You, you know, you got to pick yourself up fresh. Mm-hmm. Go do it again. Yeah. That's the beauty of it, too. There's always going to be another open mic or another audition for you to you bomb one. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully you don't make casting directors so upset with your performance you don't ever get called back. But, yeah, hopefully there's always room for improvement. And I can definitely understand that. Yeah, the job of the performer is to engage the crowd. The whole It's in the name. Entertainment. Entertainment industry. Entertain the crowd. That's what you're, yeah. you're called to do. Yeah. Core, core part of it. Yeah, if you want to watch golf, go watch golf. If you want to talk about sensitive subjects and get your yourself tickled a little bit, maybe poked in a way that doesn't feel that fun, come see some comedy. Yeah. I heard golf's a lot of fun to watch if you have enough gummies. Ooh. That's what I heard. I don't know. Speaking not from experience. Read it from, online. I'm speaking a from a friend for a friend. Yeah. That's funny. That's oh, so Nick, how can people get a hold of you if they want to hire you to be in a movie, or if they want you to explore being a wealth performance coach with them, or have you know have some contact with you? What do you got for me, Greg? Greg, you have, I you have, have two questions. Okay. For one, I was wondering, do you have a tidbit that you found really works to get out of debt? Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say the first thing to do is, and if you're someone that isn't good at like managing or keeping track of what you spend on, get a little pocket notebook, and every time you spend on something, write it in the notebook first. Because a lot of people are intimidated by Excel spreadsheets and tracking things like that. So if you just have a journal, write it down. 
it's a proven system that it's proven in the weight loss community that if you write down everything you eat, you're likely to eat less and you're going to lose the weight you want just like subconsciously. Cause you're more aware. I would say that's, that's a good first step to doing that. Okay. The other is listen to the Dave Ramsey show every day. Yeah. I have 1 million in debt and, uh, uh, I, I, I make 2000 a month. Dave's like, how did you get there? Yeah. That, that show is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't even know the Dave Ramsey show. <laughs> well, there you go. That's uh, get yeah, your you notebook go. and tune into Dave Ramsey. That's how, that's the tidbit for how to get Mama out of Dave. Debt. Come on. <laughs> I right, have here's... four envelopes. <laughs> yeah. Are we ready for our final question? Or well, let's give him a chance to talk about how to get a hold of him first. Okay. 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 I'm ready. Um, the best way to get more of me is I have a podcast it's called the Nicholas Tally Show. If you want to hear me chop it up and say more things into a microphone that's a good place um and then if you're trying to get in contact with me i would say yeah go to the show notes in the, in the podcast and then oh well, but you just got hired by an agency what's your agent's name and email um her name is sharon and it's from sweetheart elite agency i'm pretty sure pretty sure that's the the name of it so we'll see. Sounds like a chip. You're going to get hired by Chippendales. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like I'm going to be the face of Hallmark or something. Pretty well, soon. she's about to make a lot of money because uh, it's really clear that you're a well-rounded, funny human being with, with lots grit. of ideas. I'm grit. super excited. And, and so here we go. I'll stop kissing your ass right now. Here's the big <laughs> question. This is where All it hurts. Right. Uh, yes. Go for it, Greg. M&M or Foo Fighters? Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go M&M. I listen to M&M more, more in my day. For sure. Yeah. What are you listening to nowadays? Uh, I listen to a lot of modern jazz artists like uh, Tom Mish and then hip hop, of course. Uh, the late Mac Miller. I listen to a lot of his stuff, too. Got it. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming on the show. If there's anything we can do, reach out. Um, once you've been on Moped Outlaws, it's a lifelong commitment. So uh, stay in touch. <laughs> Thank you, guys. This has been a blast. And I want to give kudos to you guys. You guys are great hosts. Um, I think I think the art of conversation is lost in a lot of podcasts. And you guys do an excep- exceptional job of, of doing it. So I'm really grateful that you guys let me be on here. And for sure, I'll put my name on the contract to stay here for life. I'll do it. If that's Thank what you, you want, I'm in. In perpetuity. Is that yes. how it's <laughs> And you can have rights to my AI. You can use Perfect. my image and likeness. I'm calling Susan up right after we're off the air. <laughs> Good deal. This could cost us, though. we got to work on our budget. If we're going to be owning Nicholas's AI, it's going to cost us. It'll come back. I expect residuals. Recording stopped. <laughs>